Hi, um, welcome to the Film Sock Podcast. Um, my name is Maria. And I'm Emma. And uh, today we're going to be talking about what I think is a pretty popular and very contentious subject, um, which is going to center around the impacts of various streaming services, um, such as Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, etc., um, and their impact on the movie industry. Um, but first, we just wanted to go over some very exciting developments in award season news. Um, Emma, the Golden Globes just happened. And uh, there has been, there are definitely like a lot of surprises, but I always, for me personally, I always take the Golden Globes with a grain of salt because they usually like to kind of have a lot of weird winners um, because they just love to kind of stir up controversy. Um, but some telling things, um, Olivia Coleman won for Best Actress Drama. Oh. Um, Rami Malek won for Best Actor in a Drama. And um, Roma won for uh, Best Foreign Language Film, which is interesting. And uh, Alfonso Cuaron won for Best Director. And kind of a weird, a weird uh, winner for Best Drama was Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh, just just what we needed. Uh, and obviously garnered so much criticism because of, of course, the, uh, the really um, big controversy surrounding Brian Singer um, mm. and his uh, pedophilic um, crimes. But also, um, in addition to the Golden Globes just happening, um, the BAFTA nominations just mm. came out. And I definitely feel like Olivia Coleman will win Best Actress. Um, but it's kind of interesting looking at the Best Film um, nominations. So they're Black Klansman, The Favorite, Green Book, Roma, and A Star is Born. What do you think is going to win? Like, and do you, what do you think for the Oscars as well? Oh, goodness. I don't like looking at award season <laughs> predictions because I think, as, you know, we can see from the past, although it can be predicted, it is also, like, unpredictable. Yeah. And it's also, I don't know, my personal opinion is that even though Bohemian Rhapsody won at the Golden Globes, I wouldn't see it as like a very strong you know best picture contender yeah definitely I feel like the Golden Globes is more like I don't I think it's like likes to sensationalize stuff and make mm. I don't and I think of it as like a more fun award ceremony um but I am interested to see for sure for instance with a movie like Roma which has been largely nominated in best foreign film categories if it will kind of get nominated for best picture um because a lot of times with movies that are made with streaming services or funding from streaming services, institutions like the Academy are often very anti-everything. Yeah, it's, it is like a double-headed thing because you do, do you remember when the Oscars was um, proposing to put forward a new category where more popular films could take place, but they also are very much like a bastion of elite you know, cinema and things like that. And as well as that, it's just the traditional way of viewing movies is very much being challenged, and now that has clout. Exactly, and I think yeah. that kind of provides a really good kind of segue into kind of this main conversation about, you know, recently we have seen, and I think kind of the top three biggest um, ones right now are Hulu, Netflix, and Amazon Studios, mm -hmm. beginning to really just churn out, like, massive amounts of content. I mean, like hundreds and hundreds of shows, programs, movies each year. Um, and in the past, a lot of these streaming services have been nominated for um, Emmys and Golden Globes for their TV work. So, mm -hmm. right, like The Crown, Stranger Things, Black Mirror, et cetera. 
But now we're starting to see movies kind of come into like their main content mm-hmm. creation. I mean, just kind of, you know, to begin, how do you personally generally feel about these streaming services like making movies and funding movies? Well, the first thing that comes to my mind personally is that making movies is all about getting the financial backing behind them. So whether you're an independent, you know, production company or you're, you know, a big studio, you need money behind a film. And these streaming services providing their own content, it's them investing in it for the sake of their own product. So I think it's interesting that it's it's a way of getting different types of content to exist because that's the main, you know, root of it all, making sure that not only is something released but that it is made. Yeah. yeah. Well, I also think that it's kind of interesting, I think, when people think about these co- production companies that exist at these streaming services. And I think because obviously these streaming services are online, I think people kind of associate, like, the production is online somehow when, of course, it's not. Like, obviously you know, these production studios are, like, physical entities that there's, like, they have lots and they're, they have actors and they're in a space creating it. But I feel like oftentimes because it is so deeply associated with the online, it almost kind of, there's a bias against it because it's almost as if you're, like, subverting the process mm-hmm. of movie making because it's, like, for an online service, which I think is also interesting um, because obviously we know there's been so many challenges to just, like, movie, like, mediums and how movies are made and filmed these days, but you know, the fact that, like, the end destination is online versus, like, in a theater, Mm -hmm. I think really impacts, like, how people view, like, these streaming services. Yeah, because it is, like, a very fundamental, almost paradigm shift of how you watch movies, because for a long time, including recently, you know, in recent years, like, you went to the cinema to watch movies, like, from the beginning, you know, you had silent films, you'd still go somewhere physically to go watch it, and... You know, that model has stayed relatively the same even when sound was introduced and even when, you know, movie cinemas became much different to what they are now. And even when DVDs came out, um, you know, the idea of taking it home, that's still like a physical space. Mm -hmm. I think when it's released online, it's much more chaotic. There's a sense of, you know, self-ownership. You're not, of course, you're still paying. And even then, the payment isn't as physical as it was Mm -hmm. before, especially when it's a streaming service with a subscription model. Yeah. Because, you know, you don't have a subscription model for cinemas. You buy your single ticket and then you go. Yeah. Like, it's very, it's linked transaction. But mm-hmm. then when it comes to these streaming services, you pay the single fee and you have unlimited access to these different types of content, whether it's these television series that have been made or a feature-length film. And we've associated for such a long time a feature-length film with a viewing experience. Yeah. And that a lot of the time, that's also the financial model. Like, IMAX viewing experiences, even just as simple as, you know, buying popcorn and food and going with people. It's it's this narrative of like the cinema is the place you go. Yeah, I totally I totally agree with all of that. I think, yeah, I mean obviously these are really challenging, just the the traditional movie going experience. But what I think is also kind of interesting is like I feel like people now, because there is this like massive supposed like surplus of content online that somehow like damages kind of like the like artistic integrity or or sanctity like of movies right Mm -hmm. like this idea that well it's on Netflix and anything's on Netflix you know the shittiest movies ever on Netflix and I'm putting my you know amazing like film there 
you know, what does that mean, right? Like putting Roma on Netflix when like, you know, you have movies on Netflix that are like absolutely horrible, right? <laughs> and again, I mean, I realize that obviously um, movie going is very subjective though. So me saying something's horrible is a little, but you know, like, but you get my point, you know? And so I think a lot of kind of directors, especially ones who have a very like high regard for their art or just like, you know, the like integrity of like the movie canon often feel like it's an insult almost like to put their work on that like in that format or online yeah it's this very interesting clash of artistic integrity and you know consumer access yeah um and i think it was interesting because i was watching this round table with a lot of different um directors and you know these included people like oliver stone and mel gibson like all these very famous like white male directors who are definitely of an older generation for sure like most of them are over the age of 40 and um, they were talking about how they really were, like, upset with how much content was being created and how, like, it's just kind of, like, a clusterfuck of all of this different stuff um, and how that diminishes, like, what's good and what's bad. And I think that's also a really interesting point. Like, I think something I really love about how much content is being created is that I like that it's challenging, like, what's good and what's bad, and it's redefining the canon, mm -hmm. and it's kind of saying, okay, well, this, like, canon of what's supposedly, like, amazing isn't necessarily amazing. Um, and something that really bothered me was like, when I was watching that round table, one of them made a comment like, I haven't seen a good movie like in like a year or two. Like I, I can't name a good movie I saw recently. And I was like, well, I can, you know? And like to me, one of the benefits of these different production companies is that they're taking risks and they're making so much content that within that content, there's bound to be like some really amazing diverse narratives. Mm -hmm. And that's really exciting. It is, because they have different stakes. Like, if you try to release something in the cinemas, you have, like I said, that single transaction, you have to sell tickets. But if you know, a streaming service like Amazon, Hulu, or Netflix has um, a new show or a new movie, the risk is different. They're, mm -hmm. They need to get subscriptions. Like, it doesn't matter if people watch it. Yeah. They need to get subscriptions. In fact, they're using the movie to get subscriptions. So it's not, there's not such a big risk almost on this one single product. And it's like you said, you can find so many things on these streaming services and it doesn't become, the movie doesn't become the focus anymore. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that, um, I think though it is interesting because I was thinking about, you know, when it comes to kind of diversity and representation in film, which obviously is a very like hot topic these days, you know, I was thinking about with kind of this massive amount of content creation, is obviously I think that kind of like diversity in film is becoming kind of like a like a very popular thing and like kind of like this like um this like woke thing to do and I was like you know is the commodification of kind of this like trend and this wokeness a good thing um but then I was also sitting there like well does it really matter you know because to me it's like if Netflix is funding you know a show that like has like 80% people of color in its main cast and I'm kind of like this literally just looks like they're trying to fit a diversity quota like does it matter I mean because I'm still seeing like black and brown people on my screen mm -hmm. you know and I think that's interesting like the commodification of like what's trendy in terms of like wokeness is interesting with these streaming services that is interesting I don't know I mean what do you, what do you think kind of related to that it's because if you go to the cinema you don't see that kind of representation or that diversity because they're looking for that safetyness of yeah. that safety of a very standard, you mm. know, white, middle class like audience, audience. Yeah. Yeah. But 
and studios have been surprised when they have released films, you know, with, you know, more diverse, you know, characters and stories. Like, Get Out was such a success, and yeah. even just Tyler Perry movies are so successful because there is an audience, and they're being yeah. almost ignored by the very big mainstream blockbuster studios. Yeah, definitely. I and mean, I think, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Oh, sorry. And if you can tap into that through, you know, an online streaming service, then they totally have the right for you. Yeah, you know? no, definitely. And I think it just obviously relates back to the kind of the risk thing you said, right? Like, there's there's less to lose when, obviously, you're trying to do a major release of a movie in a movie theater. Like, you want to get as many people there as possible. And unfortunately, most audiences, you know, kind of shy away from, like, these kind of, like, films that focus on non-white narratives or, you know, whatever kind of related to that. Um, I do think it's really interesting. Um, I also remember you were kind of mentioning how Crazy Rich Asians also had a kind of interesting relationship with Netflix regarding its release. Yeah, I think there was a discussion with Netflix um, about releasing the movie Crazy Rich Asians on the platform, but there was a very distinct answer from the production team to release it into cinemas, to make it as wide as possible, which countered what we've been talking about, but mm. it was also because it's such a, the kind of movie it is, where it was an Asian-directed film, it was an a- starring lots of Asian actors, they wanted to make that symbolic point about being in the cinema and having that kind of movie set in Asia about Asian people, you know, for everyone. Yeah, and then I think it's interesting that they were kind of like, okay, we're going to have a wide release or an international release in the movie theaters, but then we're going to put it on Netflix. Like, I think that's really interesting because now it is on Netflix, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I kind of love that, though. Like, I love that they kind of recognized the value in doing both of those things, mm-hmm. right? Like, obviously put it in theaters because we want to prove that people show up for these types of movies. And obviously it was a massive box office success and also just a great film. But then putting it on Netflix afterwards was kind of like, okay, now we're going to make it accessible to even more people. And I guess that kind of brings us into the accessibility like side of kind of this discussion, right? This idea that movie theater tickets are incredibly expensive these days, especially if you live in an urban area, and they price a lot of people out. Um, you know, in London, like on a, on a Friday night, if you want to go see a movie in central London, you're talking like 15 pounds, like minimum, mm-hmm. um, if you don't have like a student discount or something like that. That's incredibly expensive. Um, and so with these streaming services, you know, somebody's looking at that or they're looking at paying less than 10 pounds a month, you know, to watch hundreds of movies. I mean, do you think that these streaming services could really be changing the game in terms of like making film accessible to people who it wasn't accessible to before? In short, yes. And I think also we've talked about artistic integrity and these financial models and what these streaming services do fundamentally is that they put power to the consumer or the you know the person who's watching these things more than with the creators. You know, if you rely on going to the cinema and paying that price, you're relying on that, you know, paying that amount of money and also what you can watch. But if the power is put back into you, like you can pay much less, you know, per for each occurrence that you go. And also you get a much wider variety of content. You know, it puts more pressure on the creators, more pressure on the studios. And when we, you know, harken back to what you're saying about, you know, these directors being like, oh, I haven't seen a good movie in a while, or, you know, there's too much going on. For them as creators, that's, for example, a lot to compete with. Mm. You know, they aren't seeing their 
old model of movie creation, you know, being active or the most profitable anymore. Now it's all down to the person watching it. They can decide where they watch it, how they watch it, and also what they watch. Yeah. I think there's a lot of power within that. But I also say this in the same vein that these three streaming companies are massive corporations. Yeah, and that's definitely, there's so much room for criticism there. And I think specifically with Amazon, Amazon's kind of this weird one, right? Because with Hulu and Netflix, you know, they were created as entertainment entities and they they always have had this focus on like movie watching or TV or whatever. Um, And Netflix, of course, has been around forever. I mean, years and years. And, um, but with Amazon... I mean, Amazon is really the epitome of seeing that a trend is occurring and just latching onto it, you know? Um, and they've literally created this massive infrastructure for filmmaking, and they make, like, pretty decent content, um, content that has won lots of awards. And I don't know, I think there's kind of a moral dilemma there, right? Because with Amazon specifically, Amazon does a lot of bad stuff, right? Like, they pay their workers terribly. Jeff Bezos is one of the richest men in the world, if not the richest man in the world, and yet, you know literally abuses his workers like what is kind of the moral relationship between and this also can apply to Netflix and Hulu in different ways between like having these massive corporations and then also like art right mm-hmm. um I think back to when Alfonso Cuaron won the Golden Globe and somebody asked him do you think that this coming out on Netflix is the death of like independent cinema and I think they were trying to reference something else but in terms of what we're talking about right now I think it's a very interesting concern, you know, because, like, for instance, A24 is an independent film company. It's not based online, of course. Um, And they are a small, wonderful little company, and they have so much ownership over their creation. While with Netflix, even though we can pride it, of course, on, like, celebrating all these narratives and doing all this stuff, it's a massive corporation, right? You know, like, how do we reconcile that? That is a very difficult question in the face of, like, what? Quaron's movie was about like Roma <laughs> like, exactly uh, it's um because I also thought a really interesting aspect and this kind of relates to what we've been talking about is when he was also asked you know when he was asked that question he said well you know how like how do you really think that movie theaters across the world are going to want to show a movie that's about an indigenous woman living in Mexico who is speaking um not only Spanish but indigenous language like and it's, she's a maid, you know, who is, who is going to, like, fund that? Who is going to want to see that? You know, but with Netflix, like, they are taking the risk and they're allowing it to be distributed. And, like, that's a really interesting point that he's making. Um, this idea that, like, as we've been saying, that these platforms are an opportunity to tell stories that aren't being told because the risk is lesser. Um, I don't know, I just think it's really, really interesting. And it's funny that you mentioned independent cinema because that, raises so many questions about independent cinema, as in who is it for and who is making it. Like we're talking about the film Roma, it's about, you know, like you said, an indigenous maid, but but who can afford to see that without that Netflix backing is exactly a whole other... <laughs> right, because I think that, you know, we've talked about before, like independent cinema often attracts mainly white, middle-class, privileged people. Um, Even though, which is ironic, right? Because it kind of, independent cinema is like the opposite of that in certain ways, like low budget, you know, low clout, et cetera. 
yet that's the type of audience it attracts and like what again what are the implications of that in relation to Netflix um but you know something else I always think about though during all these debates and people like criticize all these platforms is like the idea like that it's like so evil when like HBO has literally been doing this forever I mean we're talking since the 90s like HBO has had a subscription service monthly um to watch their content only their content for decades and people were okay with it. But suddenly now that it's online, mm-hmm. it's like suddenly like evil or like wrong or an affront to, you know. But granted, maybe, I think there's probably two elements to that, right? One is, of course, that now we're focusing mainly on movies. When HBO has like historically mainly done shows, mm-hmm. though they've done more movies recently. Um, and also that I do think part of this is just like a generational divide, you know? Like I think so. that... When Netflix decided to go online and when all these streaming services started to go online, you know, a lot of the people watching this content are under the age of 40. Um, And when you're talking to older people of a very specific traditional idea of going to the movies or what art should be, et cetera, like that's going to clash. What do you think? That's a very interesting point. That's funny, though, because then I think of how Netflix and these streaming services do try to target yeah. Sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> hmm. um, yeah, I, I do think that's true, and I think, I don't know, because you can't ignore the fact that all this is online, right? And, like, to older generations, like, the online kind of thing is very scary. Yeah, especially since that, that model of viewing movies is so embedded. It's literally a century of going to the cinema or, yeah. you know, being with other people. And now that you have, like, autonomy of, like, whether you watch it alone, you watch it with your family, or you, like, stream it in public, it it totally subverts, you know, who controls what you watch, how you're watching it, yeah. and all of that. When also, of course, it's an affront to the kind of, like, digital versus film divide. Oh. Because, like, even if, obviously, like, for instance, like, even if Phantom Thread is on, if Phantom Thread is shot on film, even if Phantom Thread's, like, on Netflix, like, even if it's shot on film, you're not obviously seeing it on film, right? You're, you're seeing the, like, digital version of, like, a film, you know? Um, and that's another whole, like, and I think for, like, obviously for people who really care deeply about the craft and who are very defensive of film over digital, like, that's, again, like, another kind of affront to it. And this idea, of course, of they're not watching the movie the way I intended, right? And I guess that, I think that is a valid kind of criticism. Like, if you are creating a piece of art... I do believe that to some degree, like, it makes sense that you want people to see it how you want them to see it. And when you have these streaming services, that kind of, you know, obviously harms that. No, it's interesting, the film versus digital debate, because there's this very cool website that I'm a big fan of called Pudding, and they make these very interesting graphs and diagrams about culture. And one of the sort of interactive graphs they've made is what medium directors have chosen digital Mm. or film and you can see some directors are absolute film yes every single film they've made and some of them for (laughs) they there's a intersection between film and digital where for certain projects they've gone for film Mm. and for certain projects they've gone for digital and some even completely digital they've completely embraced it and as you mentioned it depends on the craft, like what they intend, what they want their audience to see. And the conclusion of this 
artful is that it's not about quality, it's just whatever the director prefers, which yeah. I think is a very interesting perspective as well. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, like, I don't know, I, because I, I personally, I don't know how you feel, but I, I love going to movies. Um, it's just something that I do all the time. I love it. I love, like, kind of the process of it. I love buying my popcorn and sitting and watching a film on a massive screen. And I do kind of believe that, like, it is the best way to watch a film. Um, but also I recognize that, like, the privilege that I have to kind of have the time or any of the money to go see a film. Um, but I just, I really love it. And, for instance, like, when I saw Phantom Thread on, like, 70 mil, like, on a massive screen, like, that was such an incredible experience. And, like, I cannot imagine, like, everybody I tell, I'm like, you need to watch Phantom Thread on, like, the biggest screen you have um and on film if you can because it's just like I just can't imagine like I just feel like it's such an injustice to Paul Thomas Anderson's vision not to but I also recognize like in that statement there's obviously this kind of like elitist like you need to watch it like this right (laughs) like Maria did you know where I watch Phantom Thread on an illegal streaming website on my laptop (laughs) that is so like that pains me (laughs) that like deeply pains me um, but I also feel like Paul Thomas Anderson probably doesn't care how you watch his films, you know what I mean? Like, as long as, you know, you yeah. enjoy, you get something out of it. Um, but I don't know, I do just, I love movie going. And, but what's interesting is that even though these streaming services are so popular, um, recently there have been, like, increased numbers of people who are going to see movies in movie theaters. Exactly, like, in the UK specifically, it has risen. Like, I was reading an article, and it's in the face of, you know the TV phenomenon that is Love Island and the World Cup and also just general rising prices, cinema viewership and numbers went up in the UK. And I think it just demonstrates how much of an experience it is Mm -hmm. because, you know, you described so deeply just now, like, what you do, what you go through and how it makes you feel. And I think despite streaming services making things more accessible or more easy to watch, it is an experience. And the general consensus among how people are spending money now is that they want, you know, to have an experience. Mm-hmm. Very true. I think if you were weighing up, you know, buying a DVD or, you know, going to the cinema, I think the cinema is more of an experience, and so people are, you know, more inclined to invest in that. I think something I just thought of that's kind of an interesting, interesting question is, because I feel like the two things that people mainly go to the movie theaters for these days are one, massive blockbusters, right? Like, no, like, because, right, because part of that is, like, the urgency of seeing something. So if a movie is, like, a massive deal, for instance, like Infinity War, Star Wars, etc., people are going to go to the movie theater because they want to see it ASAP, right? They don't want to wait until it's released whenever. And the other thing people go for is usually for, like, critically acclaimed films, I feel like. Um, movies that, like, are, you know, big Oscar contenders, you know, you got to go see them in theaters. <laughs> and again, that urgency, because you want to see them before the awards ceremony. So I guess my question is, do you think that streaming services should just make all the movies that aren't going to be like Oscar contenders and then, you know, only like the, like, you know, critical acclaimed movie should be released in theaters? That is a very valid question because there's a lot of very, you know, for example, a trashy rom-com. Yeah. something I would love to see in the cinema. And I think if you think about the mid-2000s, that's very much what was going on yeah. in the cinemas. Like, it's not about quality. It was about quantity and, again, like just trying to get as much, you know, money for each ticket yeah that's a very interesting question because now i think like you know doesn't it make sense to just release all the like really dumb like fun movies on a streaming service yeah and then like obviously have you know like your really big like important movies come out in cinemas because like 
for me, because I think, and I think this is a thing, and I think this kind of also explains a little bit. That's a very pragmatic view, actually. Well, because I also think it explains kind of people, what movies people go to see in cinemas, because, you know, people, for me personally, when I look at Netflix and I think about Netflix, for instance, though, first of all, there is some amazing content on Netflix, I don't necessarily view Netflix as, like, an amazing content creator. Um, but part of this is also because I don't watch that much TV. Um, but, you know, like, so to me, I view Netflix already as, like, where I would go for, like, a fun movie, you know? I mean, so it's, like, maybe they should just do that and take advantage of that, you know? That is very, that's funny because, like, a lot of the sort of highbrow um, content is a lot of these TV series. Yeah. You know, they're very well-made miniseries type shows yeah and especially the marvel ones a lot of them were canceled recently yeah so it's like, oh what? so tragic <laughs> daredevil got canceled Ugh. yeah so it is an interesting question of where are they headed and you know with the recent roma release it could be you know more towards movies yeah and i think you know and i think I think the kind of action superhero kind of big budget, um, you know, blockbuster realm of movies will always remain in cinemas. Like, because to me, no one really wants to watch like an incredibly like a big important movie like on their screen necessarily. It's it's a spectacle. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and like, and visual effects, of course, are a really main aspect of that. Like, you want to kind of you know, for instance, who would choose to, like, watch, like, Avatar, for example? I don't like Avatar, but, like, bear with me. Like, who would, you know, expect to go see Avatar, like, on their small little TV at home, right? Like, and I think that's why, like, for instance, Avatar was the highest grossing film of all time. was one because it was breaking boundaries at the time with, like, you know, um, with visual effects, but also because people recognized, like, how incredible it was going to be on a large screen. Um, And I think that's just really interesting. I mean, that just shows how this whole streaming versus, you know, the theater debate, it's not about whether people will only stream. It's about there's the theater is not the only place to watch a movie. Yeah. And there's a place and a time to watch a movie, whether it's on your laptop or at the cinema. And it's that idea of being able to choose. Yeah. You know, if you wanted to see a movie, say, 50 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is very true. Um, and I also just, I really love, though, something I do love about these streaming services, like, how much they're funding all these other different types of media. Like, for instance, like, Netflix, of course, has so many comedy specials. Um, there, a lot of them are starting to fund, like, documentaries, like, Minding the Gap, which was, like, a really popular documentary this year, was, like, funded by Hulu. And they're also um, starting to incorporate foreign um, content. So, like, for instance, with Netflix, like, Dark, which is this German show, was really, really popular um, last year. I know Hulu, like, did a really great, um, like, German show called, like, Deutschland 86, which was really popular. Um, And I've also noticed that they're starting to include, like, more East Asian content um, and South Asian stuff. Like, on Amazon, I always see so many Bollywood films, which I think is cool. Um, Because, again, it harkens back to what, you know, Kiran was saying, like, you know, they are a really great way to try to um, get, like, things that people in West, the Western world specifically have never seen. It's giving them an opportunity to see it. Um, and I was, I was talking to somebody about how, you know, say somebody's, like, from France. They have probably, of course, seen a lot of French films, but they've also seen probably a lot of American films. Well, in America, for instance, I feel like we don't really 
see many foreign films. But with something like Netflix or Hulu or et cetera, um, we're finally getting a really easy opportunity to open like our worldview and um, like ourselves to different countries and their, their forms of media. I think it's funny because especially in the UK and also the US, I guess, like a lot of foreign media will be aimed towards the diaspora. Like you have Bollywood films on Netflix or on a random TV channel or like Cantonese dramas on Netflix or a random channel because there's going to be, you know, South Asian or, you know, East Asian, you know, diaspora wanting that content. Because, you know, just because they're not at home, they are willing to, you know, pay for it. And it's the idea of non-diaspora, like, you know, westernized Americans or westernized British people clicking onto that is a very interesting, you know, consequence of globalization yeah I think there's room for criticism and also room for praise you know and um I mean to me it's like it's good in the sense that obviously we want more people appreciating the art of other cultures and um valuing it but on the other hand you know I don't know and you never know what people are gonna think and I don't know colonialism I don't but um (laughs) but I wanted to to kind of end with um two things one I mean, what is what is your personal final opinion on this stuff? Do you do you care? Do you just love it all? Are you just here for the ride, or do you like? Do you believe that you know, streaming services like are horrible? That's a leading question. If I heard one, <laughs> um, I I very much love going to the cinema as well. I I mean, if any of any of the listeners would like to look on the film blog I have written an yeah. article about you know a student cinematic guide to London about how to find the cheapest tickets so yeah you definitely definitely check that out we'll link it we'll link it in the, the like description below yeah so you won't have to pay that 15 pounds to get you know a nice movie to watch in a you know beautiful theater and I do appreciate that and I've only very recently, you know, got into Netflix. I haven't had ne- had Netflix for a long time. Other times I was just, you know, stealing other yeah. people's passwords. Or just illegal watching online. Perhaps. 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 Um, <laughs> so, but I'm very much more interested in how, you know, movies can, you know, advance. Like, I like the idea yeah. of how movie watching changes i i like <coughs> sorry i love learning about like the history of cinema because yeah. you know i like this idea of how we went from digital went to digital from film i like the idea how we put sound in movies as well it's just i think i'm very pro like development of movies i don't have a very strong stance personally on what movie watching should be yeah so Although I'm not very pro streaming services, I do like my, you know, cinema experiences. I'm generally very excited about, you know, how can we change cinema, not only in how we watch it, but what we can watch. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think it's gonna. I think it's really exciting to like see what advances we're making, what's possible, and you know, I I just I think at the end of the day, like I'm just excited to see what happens, um, and. I think you can have both and appreciate both, and it doesn't have to be a massive debate. Um, and I think that once you start criticizing this stuff, it's very hard not to kind of get into an elitist mindset. And so I try to stay open. I think you know, and that's as somebody who likes going to the cinema, you know. So. And like 
and and that I do want to say is that outside of these streaming services, you have things like YouTube and Vimeo. Like YouTube. That's so true. Um, Malta would literally broadcast yourself, and people were making like short films and you know little web series on these platforms without the backing of a financial studio, just like a Such bunch a of friends point. making content and. It, the, all of those lead into different arguments about artistic integrity and you know representation and diversity and you know creators which is it seems like a whole other debate but it i think it's something quite interesting to keep in mind that people were causing these issues of artistic integrity and you know accessibility before or not before but on a different totally. level definitely streaming services do and i think that Oftentimes with, you know, YouTubers or Vimeo, um, you know, posters or any other, any, literally any of these mediums, right? People are really starting to use all, all different types of social media. Like Facebook, like Watch is becoming really popular. Oh, yeah. um, I mean, we're talking millions of people watch like shows on there. Um, most of which are usually um, not fictional, but, you know, um, that oftentimes those creators feel like receive even less respect. So we're talking Netflix, you know, we think is relegated. But like, <laughs> I mean, those people occupy a really strange space in kind of the entertainment industry. Um, and I think it's so cool. I think it's so cool that, like, all of these things are developing and people, you know, you can go on YouTube and watch, like, incredible content, you know, shot on amazing cameras and with, you know, professional-level editing, et cetera. I mean, it's it's really amazing. Including film sock content? Question mark? Maybe. <laughs> you know, check out, you know, the film sock uh, films, <laughs> which are all on YouTube and on our website. Um but but still, like it is, it's so interesting and exciting. I think to kind of see how these mediums are developing and how people are choosing to express themselves. And I don't know, it's exciting. But my last question I wanted to ask you was: since we've been talking about all these streaming services, for our listeners, what is like what's what's the best thing you've seen recently on any of them? Oh, not recently, but I or something you'd recommend. Oh, um, for Netflix, I have a very soft spot for Sense8 and The Get Down, which I think are two mm. examples of shows that I've genuinely enjoyed. I'm a very big television person. And also, they're very much the epitome of what Netflix funding and all these things that we've talked about today can do and, you know, create. Yeah, for so sure. Sense8 Love both of those shows. And The Get Down. Cancelled too soon. <laughs> um, well, I want to recommend this show I watched recently, which this is big for me because I don't watch shows. Um, but I watched The Haunting of Hill House, which was an incredible, incredible 10-part um, series on Netflix. And also interesting because it is, um, it belongs to kind of like the horror, like drama genre. And again, like with kind of like scary films or like, you know, horror films, like putting them on platforms like Netflix is again very interesting because they're very like intense like experiences and like being in a movie theater and watching a horror film is like very specific. Um, but it's incredible. Um, it'll make you cry but also scare you. Um, but it's, it's so, so good. And I just, I'm reminded of, like, what, like, horror, like, the horror genre can be and how cool it is that Netflix is creating stuff like that. Um, but, yeah, it's so exciting. Um, but that's all we have for this week. Um, we'll be back very soon next week with a whole other topic, which you'll just have to wait and see what we've got stored. Um <laughs> But as always, please check out um, the Film Sock blog, our other podcasts, um, and see what our wonderful, wonderful members have been writing about, thinking about, etc. And we will see you next week. My name is Maria. And I'm Emma. And we hope you have a wonderful, wonderful week.